Um, do you have any things to plug? Are you um, like you know well, Roman you, Statler you know, on Twitter or? I, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on. <laughs> I'm not on the Reddits, as the kids say. Um, I'm not on. I'm, I'm not on the the gram. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> well, I am, but I never use it because I don't. I don't like the format. Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast um, episode. Um, <laughs> what do you think? What do you think it is? I was gonna see. I'm, oh, I'm not on Facebook. I was gonna check my Facebook. One eighty five. When I check the documents on my computer, it's one eighty five. So uh, perfectly acceptable podcast. One hundred and eighty five. Holy shit! Wow. Yeah, that's that's nuts. That that's within that's within view on the horizon of two two hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when we were at 150 and we did a live episode? So that's what I wanted everyone to hear to gather around and talk about. We've got a live episode coming up. It's in two weeks. We're going to do it at the shakedown. We hope everyone comes. Now, no masks or anything. It's going to be just real chill. Just a bunch of buddies in the shakedown. I'm sure they're open. I'm sure everyone will want to come. And, and instead of clapping, we want everybody to, to spit at us on the stage. Oh, Roman, this joke isn't aging well. Welcome to a perfectly accessible <laughs> podcast. Every Tuesday, we pick up all the comics that are going to be coming out that week. We bring them to our lovely comic shop. We, after we sort them and filter them and kind of get excited about it, we take them home and read them, bring them back to the store, and then have a comic book Wednesday. A new comic book Wednesday. One of the best days in all of the world, even when comic shops are closed. It still gets my goat. Then we come back upstairs here at the comic shop. I can't pretend that we're in the comic shop right now, Roman. It feels bad. It's a Zoom call. Audio quality's been all over the board, especially with Batman in quarantine. But I listen, you know, we're here, we're doing it because we love each other, we love comics, and we love you, brave charitable listener. And we're ready to engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the books that we read this week, the comic shop that we know and love, or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff. I'm gonna be absolutely honest with everyone right off the bat. It's a weird day, so just <laughs> bear with us. Um, we've been podcasting all day. We're going to podcast early in the morning as well and having work meetings. Let's just, just here, nestle your head, rest your head on my bosom right now, brave listener. Feel my fingers running through your scalp and your hair and know that I too am exhausted and we will lean on each other when we're not strong. Who am I with here? Lean on me. Yeah. This is, this, <laughs> this is Roman and it, it, yeah, it is a, it's a podcast life, podcast weekend. I've had a lot of Roman time in the last 24 hours and will in the next, you know, 24. And I feel very blessed about it. I recorded a podcast with you yesterday morning. Then we went out to a customer's dear friend's home for several hours and hung out with Mastodon outside, came back home. Uh, we're going to record a podcast this morning. Had to bump it back, had a staff meeting, recording a podcast. Now. Like I'm getting a, a good amount of Roman after that's the state of the world right now, Roman. We are finally getting to experience small bits of things again just do it safely, everyone, because yeah. wear a mask. There's a lot of backward steps going on as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, just be outside, which is great being outside. This is the most social weekend I've probably had in 
three months, <laughs> three and a half months. And it takes the toll when you're just used to, you know, being alone all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and like this morning, I met up with some friends of ours that we also know through the store and, and uh, in a parking lot, it was kind of, it was, because that, that's the new thing, kind of like, it's like high school trying to figure out, you can't know any place to hang out. You meet buddies in a parking lot and a race a little remote control car around. Clandestine concrete social meetup. Yeah, yeah. Here, here, I got the stuff. Here, it's a, yeah, it's a toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, a nice, God, it's a good toy. Yeah, it's a nice toy. <laughs> um, but some good comics came out this week. I'm excited to talk to you about them, Roman, just sort of reminisce about them, you know, in this yeah. very hot room that I'm in and a part of. Um, so this week, we're going to be talking about some of the new releases. Once in Future, number eight. Green Lantern, 80th anniversary, 100-page, super spectacular, because they just keep pumping them out. Every month. Uh, dude, we got like, this month we've had three of them. We've had oh, really? <laughs> Joker, and Green Lantern this month. So oh, last week was the right. first okay. week without one. Jeez. Thor, number five. Marvel's Snapshots, Captain America, number one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 105. Batman, 93. And Avengers Empire, number zero that's on the docket for today we'll also you know we got an email love that thank you matt goff roman i was sorting books this week used to be that you and i would sort the books together yes now i do all the tuesday stuff solo Django scans some books in actually but he's got other stuff he has to do but it's mostly a solo mission and as i was sorting books this week i was very exhausted um because I had had a long night the night before. Father's Day was the day before that. We had a book club meeting the night before. It was a it was an exhausting day. Um, it's been a long, just a tough week. But I got, I was sorting books and I looked at what was coming out and what was going to excite me. And as I was moving the books around, I got like halfway into pulling my books, pulling books for everyone rather. And I was like, oh, Once in Future is out. I don't know why, but I'm like most excited about getting home and reading Once in Future right now. That revelation that that was the thing I was like most kind of like innocently excited about kind of stunned me and then you said that you read this book this week and also enjoyed it so yeah and, come and with me on the once in future discussion I I would love to and I was also surprised by this because for some reason I thought once in future I thought it after the last issue was going on a short hiatus or something I don't know why I thought that I think it did after five or six, but we oh. came back. Yeah, we came back. There, there we're, we are recently a part of oh. a hide. I wonder if you missed issue seven or something. I don't know. I possibly, no, I think I read that. I don't know. I, I think just going into the lockdowns and everything just messed me up. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. You're right. I think that this issue, like the, the previous issue was right before the lockdown, but um, this is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Dan Mora and colors by Tamara Bonvion. <sighs> We've talked a fair amount about this book, and I am on record as not being an enormous fan of Kieran Gillen's work, and I can't really think of any books of his that I've really enjoyed and finished outside of Young Avengers, but then this is one that I like a lot and really doesn't feel much like a Kieran Gillen book. Yeah, and I, and I, I, know what you, I think I know what you mean, and, and I've liked a lot of his books, but this is a, kind of a very unique thing. I, I wonder if, and not to say he hasn't loved like his other projects, but I wonder if he has like a really particular love for the Arthurian mythos. And, and that's why this feels different because it's the, maybe it's the thing he's the most into that he's done. 
It's also the the least rooted in sort of his pop social sensibilities. Mm, yeah. I think that like his books are very like finger on the pulse with the current world at any given moment. And I think that's mm -hmm. awesome. He was a video game journalist for a long time. And yeah, I think that he does like really great, you know, world building. I don't know. There's usually a component of his stuff that for me, just like I can lose like what, what the direction I'm supposed to be going in any given time in his comics are. Whereas this one has a, a, a bit more clear focus. Um, I think that the good elevator pitch is that it's like national treasure mixed with Arthurian legend. Yeah. And I really, I love it. I love national treasure. I like the Da Vinci code. Like I like those sort of fun hidden parallel history stories. And in this one, we've got, king arthur who was destined to return around the time of you know the the world ending and he's maybe going to save it but also like this book's twist is like what if he's the one who causes it and uh yeah it's just fun buddy and i remember early on talking to you about it on a podcast and you kind of cleared some stuff up for me um because you know a lot about arthurian legend but this one brings a character that i imagine you know a ton about <laughs> And that's Beowulf. Yes, I was. I think at the very end of the last issue, last issue, the the final panel was Beowulf, and I, and I, I was out loud. I was like, "Holy shit! That you know, that's awesome!" And yeah, I love because I, I love Beowulf. It's my favorite. Um, God, I, I don't know what I don't even remember what to call it exactly because it's before epic uh, myths. Yeah, I mean, I it's guess early, that's more early. Gilgamesh. Yeah, and it, but it's it, it's early medieval period like really early medieval so my favorite medieval thing um and in this we'll get to that but in this particular i love the way he speaks because it, it it retains like kind of the the rhyme scheme of the original well, when beowulf was written down for the first time i didn't actually really notice this that well but you're right actually um gilgamesh and even like beowulf had a sort of like a poetry nature to the way that they were written right yeah yeah um yeah they were all well, actually i don't know about gilgamesh because i haven't actually read that gilgamesh but yeah they was were all epic poetry yeah it was okay. like in stanzas yeah and the other ones you mentioned they were all written in poetic forms i mean originally beowulf was spoken for you know hundreds of years before it was actually finally written down it's just so in the joyously inconsequential like it <laughs> it is fun without trying to be a lot more than it is yeah yeah and it, and it's you know it's got it it's got enough of the reference to the old important myths of england and and um but it doesn't get super deep into all of them it's just like brings these characters in and puts the twist on them that oh king arthur's bad beowulf is bad maybe he's just bad because arthur's tricked him so far but we don't know yet and then, and then and then Merlin shows up. <laughs> oh, that's what I had forgotten because this was actually like the first book I read. But yeah, Merlin yeah. shows up. And I even think, I think in issue one, when we talked about on the podcast, I think it was me and you and Colette. And Colette yeah. was like, yeah, I just want to be like this badass grandma when I'm older. And I think that we were like, countdown to when Merlin shows up. <laughs> I think we brought up because I, yeah, I'm so glad he's a part of this already. Yeah, and I love um, the way all of them are portrayed, but like when Merlin first shows up, I was like, oh, is that Merlin? Because he looks, and he looks darker than usual. His arm, and it fits that druid idea that his arms are like veiny and bloody. And I assume that's his veins, but his hands are kind of bloody and his staff, unlike usual portrayals, it's not a, 
you know, a, a nice looking holly staff. It's this thorny looking, dead looking thing with, you don't know what that is stuck in the top of the staff. Is that a hunk of meat or what? But it all looks very visceral and, and unsettling. Did the, the bit about like the blood veins on the arms make sense to you? Is that some part of Merlin stuff or is that just a cool visual thing they're doing in I, here? I think it's just a cool visual thing. I don't remember a specific reference to that, but I think it fits just because uh, the druids and stuff and, you know, the probably the probably false myths about them doing sacrifice, human sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. But Merlin's always had this dark side to him and a mysterious side that you don't quite know what he's really up to and what kind yeah, of like, horrible shit he's done. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a cool, cool book. And I, I love when Roman and I are together on a week where that comes out because I know that we both really like it. And I don't know if anybody else is even still reading it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> oh, so man, you're I love perusing it. through something. What are you looking for? I, I'm just flipping through it. I, I just love Beowulf so much. <laughs> that's i love I mean, roman I, there's something wonderful I, about you where you just have this pocket of interests that are so foreign to me that i i love your deep passion for them and i i should write karen gill in an email or something i mean his beowulf the way he speaks the the beowulf is hero born foe hammer the monster and yeah. his foul mother will feel my fist i will bring their limbs to mount above the fire it's like oh that's so perfect <laughs> and as the type of language i've heard you use for years um well what do you give this issue Ooh, um i'm gonna go oh my god oh wait that's the other thing um i'm gonna give it a... i gotta save my gooeys for later so i'm gonna give it a nine and a half <laughs> holy shit first of all ladies and gentlemen roman just used the term i have to save my gooeys for later so like that is a crazy thing that just happened beyond that um we know that there's gooey ducks coming even a 9.5 i'm gonna give it an eight i really liked it it's just a joyful book um the high issues of this are closer to 10 for me this one um you know isn't one of the highest issues but it is still just this book i really like and i love getting into it and it's kind of the top of my stack at this point when it comes out yeah me me too it's it's always fun i like the fact the cover of this one i don't know if there's two covers of this this week i don't think so but it's, it's Merlin on the cover. They didn't even do the typical thing like, this issue, Beowulf. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, now, the reason that Django's not on the podcast this week, everyone, is that we're going to talk about this Green Lantern 80th anniversary book. And we're not going to talk about all of it. I only read the, book, the issues of it that Roman told me were worth reading and were good. But we all know that Django and the Green Lantern don't sit side by side. Wow. Um, it's too much space, too much cosmic. He only really likes Guy Gardner. Yeah, but uh, they true. did. They're cranking these 80th anniversaries out, man. We gotta, we gotta get them to do DC to do like a, a pulp Green Lantern that's even before Alan Scott. Okay, that, that's an awesome fucking idea, <laughs> Roman. Yeah, that just just he sticks to the streets and just deals with low level crime and he, and he walks around with a lantern. Yeah. <laughs> that like has to have a thing over it. Like it has an ethereal green light in it that's not heat, but it like he walks oh. around like Jack the Ripper times around the thing, but he has a little blanket yeah, it's, over it's got, it and he yeah, has to pull the, it up. Yeah, it's got the heat shield, so he raises it real slow. And yeah, and it like it just like when a when a criminal is exposed to the light, like it burns them because they're sinners or something. I don't know. There's something there, but I, I really like your idea yeah. there, and, and and of course he he you know he <laughs> laughs whenever he does it. Pulpy. <laughs> yeah. Pulpy. 
Um, Green Lantern. So you told me to read three different uh, stories in here, and I, I read those three in here. The first is Alan Scott in Dark Things Cannot Stand the Light, written by Jimmy T.I.V. Art by Gary Frank. Doomsday Clock is done. So I guess Gary Frank's four years of work or whatever, or you know, <laughs> he finally gets to start doing other stuff, and this is maybe the first thing he's done since then? Yeah, I think it must be, yeah. And I liked getting a little Alan Scott story in here. He's not, he's really a character, even in the last like six years, we've outside of getting a little bit of in Doomsday Clock, it feels like we really only had him in that Earth 2 book. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. And that was, um, I think now because of Morrison's multiversity, that was a different Alan Scott. Right? Oh, yeah, I think it was like an Earth 2 version of that. It was the way that they were trying to have the Justice Society in yeah. 52. So they put yeah. them on a different planet. Yeah, because I think that Alan Scott, and I don't even know if I assume they, maybe they still exist, but that one was younger than this one. Okay, and it also I had think. that flash with the weird costume. Yeah. Um, the Gary Frank art is awesome. It, it is, yeah. What did you, I, I loved this story. What did, what did you think? Um, I think that this 80th anniversary of what I read about it struggled in that every story was for the most part about a different Green Lantern because there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. And so it felt, it felt like each story was just like a really, for me, a kind of brief, like, Hey, here's this person. Um, like, I, it was nice to get Alan Scott in here, but I also didn't feel like it sort of boiled out. It wasn't five pages that boiled Alan Scott down to this, like the perfect version of Alan Scott. I think it was a gorgeously drawn and well-written story about a, about a character I don't know a ton about. Um, and yeah, I like the way that they were sort of using the metaphor for like the light that is inside of them or the fire that's inside them to be the fact that Alan Scott was gay and he had met this other person um, while he was trying to sort of escape that aspect of his life and they fell in love and that guy died on a train. I think it was well-written. They, they put a lot of story into five pages. Um, but without knowing Alan Scott super well, I didn't necessarily feel like it, it was like a definitive Alan Scott story, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. What, what yeah, did you yeah, think does. about it? Because you, you know much more about the character. You know if a persona, like it feels, if it rings true, you know about the parts of his character that should be highlighted or, you know, are less important. So I'm more curious about what your thoughts on it. Um, I really liked it because it, it surprised me. Um, because it's, it's like, I don't know, Alan Scott Green Lantern year one, I think is basically when it's set because it seemed it kind of retells his, it does retell his origin because his origin was in a train wreck. Okay, I um, didn't know that. Which is what's happening here. And it's, and it's set off and it has all the nods, like the guy driving him um, that Alan calls Derby. That's, that's Dorby Dickles, who back okay. in the golden age, so many superheroes had like comic relief sidekicks. Sure. He was Green Lantern's comic relief sidekick. No, just a Brooklyn guy with a you know, Brooklyn accent and drives a cab. So he's in here and he's taking Alan to talk to this woman, this middle-aged woman, and tell her that her son um, had died in this train crash. And I didn't realize that maybe Alan knew her son before the crash. Uh, but that totally makes sense because the way Alan is like, Jimmy, no, please no, and, and already knows the kid's name. So yeah, he must have already known this guy. Yeah, I um, think the shot of their two faces about to kiss in front of the fire. 
yeah like two pages from the end um is what sold it to me but i also i remember in that time that earth 2 came out it was like a big pr statement they had said that like alan scott was going to be gay is that been a part of his character for always no no um being a good and it's this is so this is why i think this is a really important story because that uh new 52 earth 2 series Mm -hmm. um that was a different alan scott um and at the time they hadn't decided yet if the old jsa still existed on another world or if they were part of the past of whatever the main dc earth is um so it was a big deal, but a lot of people were like, well, that's a different Alan Scott. It does, it's not, you know, the original one has been around for 80 years. Hmm. And this story establishes, no, the one that's been around for 80 years is and has been gay. <laughs> and I, I love that they put that into this story. And I also really liked the way that they talked about it just being that like, you know, it would have been like 80 years ago, our continuity time or whatever. So like they like they talk about it while dancing around it and it just makes me feel like slightly more in touch with how that conversation was had you know 80 years ago or something like you know it was true it's it was real it existed and people had to have talked about it even though a lot of times it was you know probably just unacknowledged yeah and it was so realistic in the context of those times and everything and and the fact that it fits alan scott's character that I mean, that's such a brave thing to do, to like, go and travel to tell this stranger that her son is dead and, or, or that, how he died. And at the same time, admit without admitting it, what it turns out she knew about her son and what Alan knows about himself, but they can't really say those things, those words, because you know, it just wasn't done then. Um, and I love that metaphor of, of the light, the burning light in him and making Alan Scott's like, Green Lantern light, a metaphor for that, because his light, as it's and it, as it's drawn here, is a very natural, flowing type of light. You know, how like a green, fire. Yeah, like a, a fire. Yeah, exactly. And how all the Green Lanterns have like their ring energy manifest in very specific ways to their personality. Mm-hmm. And I like them giving a specificity to Alan Scott's ring energy because I don't think that's been done before. I do think this one was well done because this was sort of. Uh, all you need, I could use maybe like two more pages, but uh, how Jordan gets stranded on a planet, he thinks. He's like out, it seems like he's out on a planet. He doesn't know why he's there. He crash lands in his memory. He doesn't remember what's going on. He's trying to figure it out. And his ring is running out of battery juice. And it's like, you have enough time to send three messages. So the first message he sends is to all of the Green Lantern Corps. And he's like, hey, if you can track my location and find me, I'm about to die. And the next ring message he records is one to Batman and then finally one to Carol. And then the twist of it is that he, uh, his battery runs out and he realizes he can breathe and he walks to discover he's in the deserts outside of Las Vegas and everyone has a good <laughs> laugh at his expense. But I do want to talk about, especially like the Batman message that he recorded. That was like a, I was very pleased that this idea that if Hal Jordan had three messages he could send out before he was going to die, that he felt like the second needed to be getting a hold of Batman and telling him, I guess, how much he respects Batman. Uh, I I liked that moment just as a big Batman fan. Yeah, that was really cool. Especially how many stories there's been with it 
in the JLA and in their separate comics where him and Batman have, have butted heads because they're yeah. both, you know, willful, willful and, and, and very good at what they do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was great that his second message and the, and the, the panel where he kind of lowers his eyes and admits, thanks for teaching me humility, Bruce. Yeah. Like, wow, that is really awesome. Yeah. That was, you know, it's, ah, it's tough. Je- you know, Jeff Johns, I feel like if any character is Jeff Johns, is it's Hal Jordan, you know? Yeah. Um, he really revolutionized that character and brought him in a modern day world, brought him back from the dead and, and made him a, a great character. So it is cool to get a little, you know, Hal Jordan moment from Jeff Johns. Uh, I think that he probably could have written Hal Jordan books forever and, and decided to stop because he'd been doing it for a long time. But Yeah, definitely. His Green Lantern and his Justice Society are my favorite Jeff Johns. I've never read his Justice Society book. Oh. You and Ryan both recommend that. I need to read that. It's so good. I, I want to reread it like with everything else. And, and yeah, and, and it's very funny. Um, and I love the fact that he just goes over a ridge and he's like, oh, still on Earth. And then everyone's making fun of him. He's like, yeah, I'm they, never going to live this down. Yeah, he tries. He's like, oh, Ring, can you stop those messages? But the Ring's dead. And then the, the last panel, yeah, he's at the Justice League satellite. And everybody's including, everybody's laughing at him, especially Flash and Green Arrow. But even that, right. smiling. Yeah. Um, and then the final one I read was um, written. I don't even remember actually who wrote this one. But most specifically, it was drawn by Doug Monkey. And I wonder if oh, he wrote it as well. No, the Colin Bunn wrote it. It's a bun. Oh, my God. It's a bun book. It's a bun book. A Sinestro bun book. Oh, we got bunned. But, I mean, I feel like we don't get much Doug Monkey art anymore. Yeah, I don't. And I don't really. I wanted to think, say he was doing something recently, but then I tried to think of what that was, and I guess that wasn't recently, no. I'll do a quick Google search, and you tell me what happened in this short. Well, in this one, it's just uh, a story about Sinestro. Um, I'm not even sure what planet they're on, but Sinestro shows up because this Green Lantern's getting his butt kicked, and Sinestro shows up maybe to help him. Um, but mostly he shows up and starts and starts just going on about his own history because you know it's Sinestro and he likes talking about himself and how awesome he is sure does (laughs) and uh at the end of it basically just uh rubs this Green Lantern's face in it because he's a Green Lantern and um kills the poor guy spoilers by the way people (laughs) yeah sorry this is a podcast where we talk about the things that happen in books so we're going to be spoiling them he's had a pretty active DC career since the Green Lantern stuff I just nothing has super stood out he did um the detective he did detective comics during rebirth um leading yeah. up to detective comics 1000 and he did some superman reborn stuff um at the beginning of rebirth so he's he's been around still with dc doing stuff yeah. which is good because i really i do like his art a lot They're, the closest i would say is like Lanil francis you just like that the sort of lots of line stuff but i don't there's no one quite like doug monkey's art yeah, yeah, his art's very distinctive. And now that you said that, yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, I think like Detective Comics, he did that most, maybe mostly that run with the Viking guy who thinks he's a Viking villain that yeah. shows up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do really like when Sinestro is written as a villain. And I do yeah. think Jeff Johns got a little bit, he would even talk about how like his run is actually a Sinestro story and not a Hal Jordan story. And I, I really like Hal Jordan, or sorry, Sinestro as a villain and less an anti-hero type character um yeah i like that they've been able to sort of put him in that ambiguous state but i really think he's when he's evil he's so effectively evil 
and I, I really like that. Yeah, I, I I agree. I prefer him being a villain. I mean, I mean, he, I mean, that's how he was created, and he just looks like such the classic villain. Yeah, <laughs> he's got the pencil thin mustache and everything. Yeah, and th- and this story, it's so cruel, and there's no reason for it. It's just because he is a dick. He's a villain. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just to talk about how awesome he is, and then and make this poor Green Lantern think he's going to help him, and and then he just blast him in the head. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I dug that one as well. What do you what do you give each of those stories? Ooh, um, Alan Scott. I'm gonna give that one. I'm gonna give that one an eight point five because actually I, I liked it even more after talking to you about it, and I think the art was awesome. Yeah, um, the Alan Scott one. I I was so surprised and so impressed with it, and I think it's it's so important. I'm gonna give that a ten. <laughs> oh, oh! I'm getting punched in the face with a fucking sockeye salmon over here. Sockeye salmon. <laughs> and yeah, this is going to be part of. I'm sure this is part of the bringing the classic JSA back into the DCU. I mean, you know, Doomsday Clock. If it did anything, did that. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if if they bring him back in a title of Gary Frank will be the artist. Probably not, because I don't think he can do, like, he's such a slow artist. I can't imagine them doing anything other than, like, miniseries with him. But I could see them doing, like, a five or six issue mini or something, but. Yeah, 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 good point. That's a good point. Um, The Hal Jordan, God, I love that one, too. I'll give that a 9.5. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 8.5 with that one as well. I thought it was just a great reminder of Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run. Yeah, yeah. Um. And the Sinestro, that's a good, uh, I'll, I'll give a good solid nine. Okay, hell yeah. I'm going to go 7.5 on that one, mostly because I really like the art. And the writing, while being good in return to the, the hard, evil nature of Sinestro, um, didn't necessarily break any doors open for me. You like Green Lantern. I, I love Green Lantern. I love, I love the Green Lantern core. I, I love all the Green Lanterns, basically. I'm not, I mean, I'm not thrilled with Simon Baz. But I think he has a great costume. But Thor number five came out. Donnie Cates, Nick Klein, and Matt Wilson. This is a book that, for whatever reason, speculators are going crazy on. It's going for like $15 a copy on eBay, which really? means that it's just not worth your time to sell it. And I don't know who all these people are who sell things to make an $8 profit, but whatever. Huh. Um, what's, what's their um, reason for this? Apparently, it is the first appearance of you know this the black winter the the long winter the john roderick and the long winters um uh this oh right but the black but winter yeah yeah but, did, but didn't it show up last issue a little bit yeah only sort of as an ethereal spirit whereas in this one i guess we're if their true form is just like a shadow version of thor we get that in this oh, okay um, and it's actually speaking and everything okay yeah so i i guess that's what it is but um i liked this issue and have continued to like this run pretty well i don't have any big complaints about it it's not um it's not the thing that i get so excited to read every week but you know it it is good donny cates and every issue you kind of don't know what's going to happen because he's willing to be a little bit bigger and a little bit more fun than most writers are and uh, that Donny Cates truism was very present in this issue. So I liked that. The art is great. You get Galactus fighting with Thor. Like, that's pretty good. What did you think of this? Yeah, yeah. Side by side, 
it is it's so much fun and yeah like you say donny cates is willing to really go big and and wild with things because you know after jason aaron it's like wow how, how can so anybody hard to follow yeah how can anybody follow that and donny cates is doing a really good job i mean it's he's right up there with these crazy developments um the art's amazing this this black winter that shows up it's like oh at first i thought well that's i don't know about that but it, it's a really cool villainous force and the revelation about the, the twist on the end about galactus is amazing i Never oh yeah I you know i read this the first day we got these issues it's been like five days since and okay. i forgot about that but you're right please yeah, tell I, the listeners what that revelation was yeah and i'll never oh wow i just happened to flip to the page with a giant panel on top where there's an explosion thor causes the god yeah. the god blast and and it's just all white and there's this tiny little picture oh that's galactus there it's so big yeah. it's dwarfing galactus so the twist is um the black winter reveals that it's basically the Galactus of the previous universe, universe, and Galen, the guy we call Galactus, is its herald. <laughs> and I love that idea because I love Galactus, but we also yeah. don't know a ton about the changing of the universes that happened, like because we know that Galactus, Galen, is the only surviving member of the pre-existing universe to our universe. He was left yeah. alive, sort of herald it, or to be the bishop of it. Um, so yeah, like Donny Cates, I really like it. I, I, I'm always like, are you allowed to do that? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I wish, I wish that DC embraced this type of writing a little bit more. Just like a little bit more. Like, let's lean really heavy into the mythos that are are what make these stories great, and uh, not not worry about tainting them or something. Like, sure, Galen's, you know, yeah. Galactus has always been Galactus for 50 years. Also, what if maybe he was somebody else's herald in the before times. Like, cool. That doesn't necessarily, yeah, it's, I love it. Like, again, his writing is good, but his plotting and his story ideas are so much fun and they're so big. And I'm always, it's like opening a Christmas present when you read a Donny Cates book. And this, this was great for that. I, I really, if you're not reading this Thor book and you like Donny Cates, like it is, it is very Donny Cates. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so much fun. And there's great little, even in all this big God cosmic stuff, previous universe, there's little character moments like Sif and Better Ray Bill have a good moment, and and even though they've had a kiss before, he kind of stumblingly asks her out, and she kind of awkwardly says yes, and and it's great because they're, they're gods. <laughs> I didn't know that they had a romantic interest in the past. Well, they've at least had a kiss. I can't remember if they've actually had a fling or anything, but and that was great. And in the background, Lockjaw and uh, Thori, the dog are playing on the rainbow bridge i didn't and, realize that was thory it's yeah oh my god thory and lockjaw are playing together like give me a whole series about that yeah the whole time sith and better ray bill are talking they're in the background just just romping on the rainbow bridge and pray playing and so there's all this cosmic horror going on and these two dog buddies are just having a dog buddy time <laughs> i really I liked the, I didn't even really pick up on the like romantic overtones of Sif and Beta Ray Bill here, but I, I really like when you pointed that out, there's this like, um, Volsegg's proposed a gathering. I don't suppose that uh, you, you would like to join. And she says, when Thor comes home, when Thor comes home, yes, I, I would like that. And he says, until then, I, until then. Like, cool <laughs> Norse gods being little, you know, 18 year old high school students. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> 
I like that. Yeah, it's just it's big and good, and I like you know I like being able to talk about it. I I don't know. I'm not sure if Django's keeping up on this book, but I I, I really liked the big the big classic Marvel fun nature of this. And I think so much of Marvel stuff is like big classic like when it's done well, it embraces that big classically Marvel stuff in this, like when the yeah. black winter sort of embraces Thor at first, it kind of, it is less of a person and more of an idea. And it kind of sends him into a internal ennui, really. Like he's just sort of like going through all these like psychotic state of like gore is there and Loki is there and Mangog is there and he's being, you know mentally tormented more than physically tormented i liked the idea of the black winter being more of like a natural unstoppable force as it was sort of presented in issues one through three and i care a little bit less with it being a strict person but i do really like the idea that it's so powerful that galactus was its herald you know that's yeah and i and i had the impression that it's it just takes on like a personages look that looks like thor that's kind of like galactus like john byrne wrote that about galactus yeah galactus looked like whatever planet saw galactus at that time because he's so big and you know defies Mm. comprehension yeah oh and i do like the fact that there's a bit in this before thor's able to do that god blast i think he kind of uh he asks his hammer he kind of prays to his hammer which is something that jane foster always did when she was thor but th- but our Thor, the regular Thor, he never really did that. I think he learned that from Jane, and now he's doing that. Sometimes. Well, he's also like they have. It's been so long since the beginning of these issues came out because of the pandemic. But like, if you remember at the beginning, like he's been struggling to lift the hammer. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I wonder if he's also conversing with it as a way of like trying to like please let me pick you up this time, buddy. But yeah. What do you give this issue? Um. Boy, I'll give that one a ten. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, because I was talking about it. I realized I remembered how much I I liked the issue. Goo. I saw... <laughs> oh god, what is that? Goo, it's a double gooey duck. Look at the size it's, it's, of that it's, shell. It's leaking <laughs> duck juice. A god blast. It's a gooey blast. Oh god. Ew. Ew, yuck. Um I'll give it an eight point five. I really <laughs> liked it. It was good comic booking this week. Um I, I really, I really did dig it. Uh, I needed to be reminded about that the coolest part, which is that reveal about what Galactus is. But um yeah, you know, still just getting in the flow. All these comics had these like four months off, three months off between issues that it's 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 hard to remember it. Um yeah. Roman, I read a book that really surprised me this week, which is Marvel's snapshot Captain America. This Ooh. one's written by Mark Russell with art by Ramon Perez and colors by Rico Renzi. This is like maybe one of the least Mark Russell books I've ever read, but it was also, there's like an indelible Mark Russell quality to it in terms of um, the focus on sort of equality and community and the way that we're all supposed to help one another, but it didn't really have any of his humor in it at all. Yeah. Yeah. It it really didn't. Um, it, it kind of surprised me because I was wondering going into it, I was like, how is, what is Mark Russell going to do humorously with Captain America? Because, um, you know, that's one character that, I mean, he's a great character, but there's not a lot of humor in a Captain America story normally. Right. <laughs> and there isn't here. Um, in fact, I was really surprised that the second page, it's a two-page uh, splash page pages, and it's... And it's set during the Mad Bomb story that Jack Kirby did in the 70s. 
Um, Tell me about that. I don't actually know about that story. That was, was that when he was writing and drawing Cap? Yeah, yeah, I think he was doing, yeah, he was doing both. Um, and it's a story that, just a little, little tiny short side bit. When I was a kid, there was uh, peachy folders. You take that, as many side bits as you want for as long <laughs> as you want, buddy. <laughs> there was these, well, I don't want to keep us up all night. Um, but these, min, these peachy folders that were, that Marvel produced, that were um, like a cover of a Marvel comic. And then you open it up and it was some panels, you know, on the peachy, the bottom part, the, the pocket part. Mm-hmm. There were some panels reproduced there. And then the back of the peachy was like a whole page from that comic. And that's the only hint I ever had of this Mad Bomb story for oh, years really? was that peachy. And I was, so I had like a page and a third and the cover. And I was like, this is so cool. I wonder what it's about. And finally, years later, I got a copy at some store, some bookstore or something. And the Mad Bomb story was um, this bomb that I think they, I think they reference it in here that Hydra created, um, or maybe it was AIM, which was a AIM is the one AIM. in this, but yeah, 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 that AIM had created, and it makes it makes people it drives people mad, just super angry, and makes them violent and attack people, and I forget why AIM wanted to do this, just cause chaos. Um, and Captain America found out about Captain America and the Falcon, and they were trying to track it down and stop it, and in the midst of them almost getting there to stop it, it goes off. And all of a sudden, there's riots in the streets and all this destruction and everything, and Cap and the Falcon are stuck in the middle of it, trying to deal with it, and also get to wherever the bomb is and shut it off maybe that's such a kirby story element yeah yeah and the cover if i remember right it's like a classic kirby cover where caps caps like we've got to stop the mad bomb <laughs> yeah <laughs> diving and his feet. yeah but it's also so kirby to like you know people tur- like, you know the greatest evil is people turning against each other and like these large-scale moral conversations that, yeah um were very inherently kirby i liked this issue because you know, there's things like the Brubaker Captain America run, which are just amazing um, all the way through. But I think that Captain America, when not in the best hands, or like, you know, I think he works really well as like a, a background element. I think that like moments of Cap, he can be just as powerful in those moments. And in this issue here, um, we, it, it is that. It's that we're just following a, just a person in Harlem uh, a young black kid and he is brilliant and he gets recruited by aim to ultimately be working on another height or um, mad bomb. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, but his family, like in Harlem, like his family was ravaged by the mad bomb and his mom like killed his brother, his younger brother and all this crazy shit happened. And it's more of a story about like him coming to terms with like, the fact that the police and superheroes are out doing bigger things and helping in Harlem. And um, it just felt very relevant to what's happening right now in America of this, you know, we create this persona that people are heroes, like police officers or superheroes and they're out there helping everybody all the time. But also there's just huge pockets of American society that is totally, that are totally abandoned and, and totally like left to be, you know, their own devices and then we criticize them when they don't go when it doesn't go well. And it's like, well, no fucking shit. They've got no resources or support at all. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, this kid is brilliant. He gets re recruited to be working with the bad guys. He creates a plan to take down the bad guys. And then Captain Falcon come and um, sort of save the day after he has saved the day. And Tony Stark gives him a job at Stark Industries. And he has, I love that he has the balls to sort of say to Captain America, they're like, yeah, you guys kind of bailed on us. Like you, you know, Cap's like, well, I'm kind of only good at punching. I, I really like that bit. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's cool. Punching's important. And then it ends with Captain America, like there with the other heroes helping rebuild Harlem, eating a sandwich and dealing with community stuff because yeah, a comic book is interesting to read with superheroes taking down aliens, but also on a practical and societal level, you know, I want my superheroes to be people who are on the streets helping people who need it. So I, I really liked this story for giving me, you know, it was like a 40 page story and it probably gave me six pages of Captain America and he was everything you want him to be, you know, yeah. and that's, that's what is great about Captain America. And I also felt like I was doing right by Roman by reading one of these Marvel snapshots issues. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, this was, this was really great. There was uh, early on before the, um, before the main character, the kid gets the job offer from AIM. It's after his, uh, his mother's been driven mad by the mad bomb and, and the baby attacks her and she attacks the baby and kills it. Um, it's so fucking brutal. What a yeah, brutal scene. Yeah. I did not expect that. Um, and he's later on, he's in the street and just talking about, um, how his brother was a casualty in the war of madness as were we all. Um, they forced us to kill one another in a desperate contest to live and made us ashamed of our own survival. That's such a poignant line. Um, talking to everything that's going on. Well, now it was going on when Jack Kirby wrote the original story. It's going on now it was going on, you know, 400 years ago and the graffiti on the wall. Yeah. Do you, you see that one? The, this was yeah. never the land of the free. It's occasionally the home of the brave. Yeah. That is an incredible piece of art right there. And that, through line of shame that you just brought up like later on in the issue when the young boy is talking to his mom and he's like hey it's not our fault what happened it's not your fault that the mad bomb happened and made you kill your son she's like no but i feel ashamed anyway um, yeah and she says we are ashamed not by our guilt but by our weakness she's mad that she let it affect her mm. and it's like you're not ashamed of what you did but you were not strong enough to fight the mad bomb and like you know this through line of shame and and what the cost of survival is, you know, when we're all in a shared turmoil, the people who sometimes the people who make it through are ashamed they made it through. And, and yeah, just Mark Russell tells a really good moral story, even when he's not doing it laced with humor. And I'm proud yeah. of him for doing an issue that is not inundated with humor. Like I saw Russell on the title. I was like, wait, this isn't Mark Russell, is it? And yeah, it is. And it doesn't feel like him. And I'm, I'm really proud that he's not just doing humor books yeah yeah i, I agree i i am too and the fact it, that this came out you know right now in the midst of a, you know everything going on it's like wow that's and it harkens back to the captain american falcon stories that were coming out back in the the 70s early 70s and the whole idea behind their partnership from the late 60s that you had like this super soldier greatest generation character teamed up with this you know black social worker from harlem who who was of the streets and just 
them learning from each other and come button heads with each other and ultimately you know working in conjunction and and they would refer to each other eventually as brothers um and it's nice to see see a callback to that what a, I, I really want to read that era that you're talking about that 70s and 80s stuff i was just trying to track down what that was but i would give this issue a nine um i I loved the Kirby in it. I love the Mad Bomb, like, you know, was drawn like a Kirby, you know, I, I loved the references to Kirby there. I liked how much morally it felt like a Kirby tale. I liked what Mark Russell did. I feel like he grew as a writer through this. And then it also is like one of the most socially poignant books to come out um, in the, the current social climate that we're at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely give it a 9.5. Hell, it is, yeah. It, and it did crack me up that they didn't shy away from the fact that the Kirby design of the Mad Bomb, which is this massive cylinder with all these glo glo like uh, circles on it with connected. And for some reason, it's got a clear top. And for some reason, it's got a great big brain in the top of it. <laughs> it's got it. It's Kirby. There's Kirby dots, Kirby balls, Kirby cylinders, and a brain. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, I just want to talk really briefly about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 105. Uh, Please I don't do. Wanna, yeah, like, I came on to this book around like, issue 99 um, because of Braden, who was like, you should check this out. Yeah. It's, it's been really good. Um, Sophie Campbell has been co-plotting it with Kevin Eastman, but she has been writing the, the script, as far as I know, and doing the, the art as well. And it is awesome. On top of uh once in future this is the other book i was really excited to read this week this picks up where the last one ended 104 where all of the turtles and some of the other animal recruits that they've had as the city has gone under all just go to a punk rock show at a concert and some of them start kissing other people and there's some romances and it's like teenage mutant ninja turtles by way of degrassi the next generation and <laughs> i absolutely love it i I, it's just, it's so good. I, I, I don't even know how to describe. Um, the art is very good. It's like the art isn't necessarily the selling point, but it is really good. Almost more than the penciling stuff. Like the, the, the coloring is really great. Every turtle has sort of a, a different depth of green shade and the way Michelangelo is drawn just makes me feel like I'm a five-year-old looking at my Ninja Turtle toys. Cause I was a huge turtles head uh, when I was a little guy. And, um, you know, a lot of humans have been turned to turtles at this point. So Jenica is a human turned turtle, whereas the turtles are turtles turned mutant turtle. Um, and there's some like cute little kid things like the pepperoni dinosaur of Raphael's is awesome. But the way that Sophie Campbell is able to write all of these characters with the amount of heart that she does, like there's so much love between all of the characters in this book and I think Sophie Campbell is really able to tap into that and tell a story where the hearts of these characters are the hearts of this story and everyone in the world knows who these turtles are you know like everyone can name at least two turtles right um, yeah. and I think that if you're like me and you haven't read comics about the turtles before everyone should get on board at issue 100 and check this out because it is a touchstone I think for everyone more than they realize. And it's just so heartfelt. Like it's, it's, it's the most heartwarming book I read this week. And I've felt that way about all of these issues so far. I think Sam and 
I'm sorry, Barry and I recorded a video about issue 104 on Facebook, you know, early on in the pandemic, because the last week the comics came out, there's an issue of it. And anyway, it's, it's so good. I know Roman has been reading it, but we don't order a ton of it. So maybe there weren't just any in this shop after, after I grabbed my copy. Um, maybe not about it. Or maybe I, I, I might have even handled one and just didn't had a brain fart and didn't realize. It's hard to remember that this is a good book because I've gone a lot of my life willfully not reading Teenage right. Ninja Turtles comics. Right. <laughs> but yeah, a big thank you to Braden for putting this one on my platter um, and getting me to read this because it is, it is phenomenal. I would give this one a nine um just a great comic book and i can't wait for the next one and i i hope that she stays as a writer and artist on this book for a long time oh yeah i hope so good i'm, I'm looking forward to reading that because yeah Braden got me reading it too yeah roman you're yeah. not reading james tinian's batman run no i haven't been i read the first couple issues three issues and realized i just i didn't care and it was making me miss um tom king's run so much yeah just by its his absence um so i quit and then i read this is issue 93 yeah i read issue 92 still didn't care for it so i didn't read this one yeah it i love batman i know you do also um yep. and i you know it it is way better than it was at the beginning but this issue didn't hit me as highly as the last one did um I like seeing what's going on with this. The art's really nice. I like the Guillaume March stuff. Um, I like this designer character. Spoilers. He fights the designer in this. And then like two thirds of the way through the fight, it becomes apparent then that like, it's a corpse that he's fighting that is being controlled by the Joker or something. And it's like, okay, well, you're either a fully functional human body or you're a corpse. Maybe I missed something, but um it's a rotted body. Like it's a corpse. There's not, it's. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, but anyway, the, they're moving. There, there was a very high point in this where like the designer had been introduced and I was trying to learn what the different bad guys, the, the you know, crimes that they were going to pull are. And in this like spoilers, the Joker is just stealing all of Bruce Wayne's money. And that's not very interesting to me. That's not necessarily <laughs> the type of Joker story that I care a ton about, but um we didn't get a ton of punchline stuff in this, but the Guillaume March art is really gorgeous when he's doing the, the really painterly nice stuff. Um, I won't spend too much time on it because we talk about most every issue, but yeah, this, it's a book that is, it is pretty good at times and then has big missteps at times. So I would give this issue a 7.5. I'm still happy to be reading it, but um, it's still, I, I, you know, he's written probably like seven issues at this point, maybe more. 85 is when he started, now we're at 93, so maybe like eight or nine. And um, I still can't decide if it's really good or not. I can't decide if I like it or not, you know, which is, yeah. it's weird that I'm not, I'm not turning, a, turning it off, but I'm still, I'm still trying to decide whether or not I think it's very good. So um, the classic, <laughs> classic Jimmy TIV. Yeah, is... Um... Let me ask, is Deathstroke in this issue again? <laughs> he was in this one really briefly. Okay. Um, but he still, was in the still trying to fight Batman. <laughs> yeah, he was in this one only almost maybe as a flashback or something. It oh. or you maybe it's just like one panel. He was also in like the Joker one shot. Yeah, get Deathstroke out of there. I just he's a Teen Titans villain. He's not a Batman villain in my book. 
Yeah, 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 you're right. No, is and is the last issue I read, I think it surprised me because as far as I know, this is the only time this has happened in comics that the Jim Carrey Riddler showed up. Okay, well, I really like the Jim, the, the Jim okay. Carrey Riddler <laughs> issue, uh, like where, you know, he's like turned the city into a grid and Batman is solving a crossword. Like, well, I thought that was pretty awesome. And I like Jim Carrey Riddler, but I also grew up with those Joel Schumacher Batman movies. But I like him. I like that he's like starved and on meth and like, you know, like can't sleep because he's trying to solve all these riddles. And um, I think that's a, a kind of cool bit that, that Jimmy that is, has done. That is kind of cool. And actually, I do like that better than the, I guess I do kind of actually like that a little better than the kind of sleazeball sexy Riddler that Tom King had. Because that Riddler kind of makes me feel ooky. <laughs> yeah. I also like. I'm more okay with that Riddler than I am with like the, the Scott Snyder one. I really didn't like the Scott Snyder, like zero year. If you remember that, like oh, two thirds of the way right. through uh, new 52, he wrote yeah. one and it just, it was like criminally boring, but yeah, that Riddler, that's no good at all. <laughs> hey, did you read um, Avengers empire? Number zero. I did. I spoilers, everyone. I thought it was just fine, but I like Al Ewing a lot, and I also like Pepe Larraz, because they did the art on the House of X, Powers of Ten stuff with Hickman. And can you tell me what's going on? What, what did you think about this? This Empire event, like, they put a lot of money into pushing, and I think that maybe if it had come out at the right time and the pandemic didn't happen, people would have been pretty interested in it, but um, I just like don't really even know what the main thrust of this is. It's like Kree and Scroll are like bonding together because Hulkling is being sort of manipulated into being a leader of theirs. Yeah. And yeah, and all of that is sort of like, okay, but why do I care? That's what really surprises me that they used these stories from like the mid seventies as they're jumping off. If their basis for this whole crossover, the celestial Madonna. Yeah, because, yeah, because unless you're like, you know, my age, maybe five years younger or and older, you're not going to care. You're not going to know what the hell the Kotati are or how they tie into the development of the Kree and the scroll and their whole, the two races, like hating each other. <laughs> so it just it seems like an odd choice to me. I mean, it seems like this is a comic that's geared toward like, Mark Wade is a fan and, and guys like that. And Al Ewing and like, yeah. I mean, like, I think it's, yeah. I'd have to look at who the main writers of the series are, but I feel like it's like Dan Slott and Al Ewing or something. And, and that makes sense. Cause Al Ewing does a lot of things that feel like maybe just things that he wants to write, but. Um, yeah, which is you, cool. I mean, I like it. I mean, you because, liked this. Yeah. Because I, because I, you know, as I slowly accumulated back issues when I was a kid, I eventually pieced together and read all of that stuff about the Kotati. So I knew who they were. I knew all about the swordsmen and Mantis and the celestial being the celestial Madonna and them having a kid that was going to be the, you know, cosmic, whatever savior. Sure. So yeah, that, that's all stuff. I was like, Oh, that's cool. That hasn't been mentioned in like 30 years. <laughs> so let's go back to that. Okay. So I, I like it more even just hearing you say that because you know, I don't have a, there's a part of me that is sort of like, okay, well, why, is this existing? Um, Cause I don't know a lot of this stuff. So it's good to immediately talk to somebody who does know this stuff and it, it is resonant with it. It does seem like kind of a gamble to make the, what was to be the big summer event of 2020 based on these stories. I don't really ever hear people talk about. Yeah. Cause yeah. Like the Korean scroll war used to be 
it's one of the backbones of the Marvel Universe and it used to be mentioned, referenced a lot until about, I don't know, I would say sometime in the mid 90s or whatever, where they kind of like, okay, that's ancient history, let's move on. And like they, at, they have a page in here where the Avengers are on uh, this planet and trying to find out what's going on. And all of a sudden you turn the page and this big robot with a, with a like thing on its head controlling it burst out of the woods. And I was like, holy crap, it's, it's one of the Cree centuries. And then I realized how many people reading this are going to know that? Yeah. <laughs> Me, Al Ewing, Mark Wade. <laughs> yeah. Um, Robert, Robert Newell, maybe. <laughs> I do like the way that um, Pepe Larraz draws She-Hulk. Yeah. Like way more of like, you know, looks like a female version of the Hulk and not necessarily like yeah. a green swimsuit model, which is how she's portrayed, you know, in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. She's huge and bulky and muscular and, and just, she, she looks strong, really, yeah. really strong. And I, I'm, I'm into that. I know you are. Um, yeah. I think that I will be able to dig and I plan to read all of the main empire series. I don't know how much I'm going to get into these side stories. There are a lot of them. There's a checklist in the back and it's saying like, yeah, in April. And you're like, bro, April's done. Your ads need to be updated. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. there's, uh, there's probably 50 comics here that it's listing as a part of this checklist event and 40 or 50. And I don't know. Road to empire. Cree scroll war was great. Um, you know, hopefully this, yeah, I don't know. I, I like Al Ewing. I, I will I will be reading the main book. And if you tell me to be reading these side ones, I'll check them out. But um, this one, this issue that we're talking about, uh, I think I think was fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would give this issue a prop. I do like the Swordsman. Um, I probably, I think I'd give this issue like a solid seven. Okay. I'm going to go like a six. And I think that makes sense because Celestial Madonna is just a phrase I like to reuse to refer to Justin. <laughs> um, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, it is. Perfect. Yeah, and I don't know how many of these side, all these, I'll, I'll do the Mark Wade one, and I'll do the Jonathan Hickman one, of course. Oh, and the Gary Dugan, you know, Conan and Venom one, because that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, he's so great at writing. Well, hey, so listen, we finished all that up. Great, hey, great work. We put all that, we put a lot of work into it. We organized our days and our thoughts, so we'd be able to have important intellectual conversations there. Now we really just get to sort of relax put the hair down. I used to have long hair. Uh, I would tie it back. At this moment, I, I would remember. let it all down. Do you remember? My hair was very long for years, and then I, I randomly remember, just yeah. cut it, and now it just I can't even imagine having long hair again. <laughs> um, well, so listen, uh, we got an email just a couple That's days ago. Very exciting. I want to cool. make sure everyone knows that you can write us an email as well. You just can write... Uh, any type of email that you want answered on this here podcast and in the subject line, write, you know, papcast, P-A-P-C-A-S-T or podcast or whatever you want and send it to info at thecomicsplace.com. It's, uh, it's, we love it. We love it. We love getting questions from people on Facebook and we love getting them on the email. I would love to have one every episode. So this week, thank you so much, Matt Goff. Roman, are you ready for this? I, I hope so. I think I love the questions. I, they, sometimes I, they get they get me stumped, so I'm, I'm I'm always a little anxious, but I love it. Um, oh God, I'm pretty excited. I <laughs> uh, it's the first two points. Okay, so I don't know if you know this because you don't work a lot of shifts where you would overlap with Matt Goff. 
but Matt Goff, listener of the the podcast, wonderful friend of the show, um, great all around person. He and his wife have been expecting a second child. So, from Matt Goff, hey there, pappies. Just have a couple bits and bobs for you. Anybody, you don't even need to have questions. Just give me your bits and your bobs. Yeah, just some bobs and bits. Absolutely. One, the baby came the day after picking up my oh. paternity reading. Good timing, kid. <laughs> Matt lives south an amount of time. I think it's like a half hour south, Mount Vernon-ish. And he drives up to go to our store. And also he's been placing orders and then picking them up uh, at Django's house, which everyone is wow. able to do. Um, thank you, Matt. Two, yeah, thank you, Matt. Just a friendly reminder to applaud Colette and the other moms in your life. Childbirth is the craziest, hardest, intense, beautiful thing anybody can do. Hats off to all those moms out there seriously i'm just sitting here with my hair down and my kimono parted and i've never had to give child birth to a child i don't even think i'll ever have to personally yeah i've been i've been avoided it so pretty well so far i don't think i will um number three i've been listening watching cartoonist kayfabe for the past couple months and enjoy their read more comics material um, it got me wondering what your opinions are on Alan Moore. I hear about Morrison all the time, but Moore hasn't gotten as much attention. So for those who don't, that don't know, Cartoonist Kayfabe is a YouTube channel, started that way, that has been converted to a podcast that is done by Ed Piscor and Jim Rugg, who are amazing cartoonists who devote their entire life to comics and cartooning. Uh, Ed Piscor did Hip Hop Family Tree, uh, X-Men Grand Design. Jim Rugg did Street Angel and Octobriana is gonna be coming out soon. I love those guys. I love the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Um, everyone should listen to them. They do a section yeah. called Read More Comics where they will uh, talk about Alan Moore comics issue by issues. Um, like Swamp Thing and Miracle Man and all sorts of different uh, Alan Moore comics. I have a shirt that has a Piscor drawn yeah. Alan Moore head that yeah. says read more comics. Um, we talk about Morrison a lot. Let's talk about Alan Moore. We do. We do. I, I, I'm glad I'm here for this. Yeah, please. It's very good that you are. I will, I will come straight out. I had, some, I had some definite baggage around Alan Moore for a long time. Um, he has been very... Uh, aggressor-ish um, towards Grant Morrison. Um, there's a really good, Grant. you can listen to Grant Morrison, so you're getting biased information there. Talk about when he was asked to take over Miracle Man, and he sent a letter to Alan Moore asking if he could get his blessing, and Alan Moore sent a scathing, horrible letter back to him. And he has kind of, since then, always been kind of a dick about Grant Morrison, and then me being a big Morrison fan, um, it's a little bit high schooly to be like, you made fun of my friends, so I don't like you. Uh, so I'm, I'm working on getting over that, but I, do, I really do not like bullies. And so I would say that my main criticism of, of Alan Moore is that he seems like he can be kind of a bully sometimes, and, and that not, is not exclusive only to, to Grant Morrison's story. Um, so I think it's important to separate art and intent and artist and intent. And, you know, Watchmen is amazing. Um, and, you know, this question is way better suited for Justin and Roman. I think, wow. See, I, 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 that's, those are excellent points. Um, are they? I, I don't, they're they, not, I think, they, they're not on the art itself, though, which is what I would like the conversation to be about the art itself. Well, no, but it's, it's, they're worth being aware of. Like, I've never read, I'm, a, I'm aware 
that Moore did that, and that's a dick thing to do. I've never actually read his letter um, back to Grant Morrison, partly because I don't want it to, to creep into my head because mm -hmm. I love Morrison and I love Moore. I think they're two of the most important comic writers ever. And, uh, and I don't know what it's about. I don't know if it's like rival magicians or whatever in Moore's head or what the hell the deal is or, or his thing about, oh, you're playing with my kids now. And I give you permission. It's like, well, he asked permission. You're blessing. <laughs> so I don't know. But um, and it's unfortunate because I really like Alan Moore as a writer and just interviews I've seen with him. He's very smart and he's very funny and at least in written and a few, you know, live video interviews I've seen, he's self-deprecating. So it always surprises me when I read something like, here's something, a story like that, where he's been a bully to somebody. Cause I'm like, wow, he never comes across that way in the stuff I've seen or read, which admittedly isn't a huge ton other than his fiction. Um, but his fiction, I do love uh, his run on Swamp Thing, best run of Swamp Thing ever. His Probably one of the great runs of comics of all time, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That and of course Watchmen, V for Vendetta, which I actually like, I think a little bit more than Watchmen. Um, uh, his Promethea, fantastic. With Jay From Rose. Hell, you just recently oh, yeah, finished. Yeah, From Hell. I'm looking forward to the, the new collection of the recolored version of that. Um, he has a collection called brighter than you think which is short stories of his that aren't you know any major characters just short stories and i think it's out of print right now if it ever comes into print um matt anybody else listening seek it out because they're some of the best short stories in the comic format that i think i've read and um, you have a copy of it yeah yeah i got it you know through through the store through our store um, when it was re-released, I think last year, and then it quickly went out of print again, I think. Hmm. I don't think we can get it anymore. Okay. Um, I haven't read his, like, oh, Through the Fire, his, you know, his hardcover prose books, mainly because yeah. I've been intimidated because, like, Jerusalem is huge. I'm just, yeah. I mean, I want to read it someday, but I'm intimidated. Um, he, it almost seems like he can do any genre, and it's very realistic uh, I mean, he kind of i don't even mean this in a denigration in, in any way because i think stephen king's a great writer and i alan moore i feel like writes characters in a similar way to stephen king where they're they're very three-dimensional they're very fleshed out they're very they have contradictory emotions and thoughts and actions and and even if they have a fantastic element to them they're down to earth and you can relate to at least parts of them, if not everything about them. And I'm very impressed with that. And I, and, and I think that the Frank read of that is that like Alan Moore was a highly acclaimed, successful young creator who got then slightly older. And then a young writer came on the, the scene that was getting highly celebrated. And, you know, I think all many creators like Alan Moore would be slightly threatened on an ego level and there was probably some interaction between the two of them. Alan Moore probably was kind of threatened and said something rude. And then Graham Morrison was probably like, well, that guy's kind of a dick. And frankly, I think that like most of the people as an adult that I meet that I get along with really well, like there's a moment where you're sort of like, are we going to get along? 
And I think that people that are so similar can really grate on each other until you find the way that they fit perfectly with one another. And, and I think that Grant Morrison and Alan Moore would end up being great friends as adults, but I think some stuff happened in their youth that caused some, some petty rivalries, but um, all right. And then finally, Matt Goff, number four, lastly, I've been reading all-star Superman on my paternity and have conceded that quietly is a good artist. Matt Goff uh, was openly not a fan of quietly. Um, with the exception of his mouths, which Django is very vocal about. Where are the lips, Frank? When I'm finished with this book, what Morrison should I read next? Animal Man or Doom Patrol or something else? I'm naturally drawn to Doom Patrol because of the show and the similarities to X-Men, but I've heard uh, good things about both. What you think? I don't agree with the fucking lip thing. Um, I've, I can point, I can, I have stored in my brain many, many different clear images of Frank quietly drawing lips only because I've heard Django say that thing about lips so often. Um, but I'm the wrong guy to talk to about Frank quietly. Cause I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm breastfeeding as a newborn <laughs> child again for the first time in 30 years when I am looking at Frank quietly art. So clearly I'm not an objective person to talk to you. I just, there's, love I, it. I could swear. I remember there being lips on characters in like, Oh, the, there's like flex mentallo and, and there's plenty of fucking yeah. <laughs> lips. Um, but maybe there's several, I don't know. Um, Okay, Doom Patrol or Animal Man? I I, I mm. dig that you want to read Doom Patrol. I, Matt Goff is a huge X-Men fan, so he would maybe really dig that as his next step. I actually think Animal Man, I have not read all of Doom Patrol. Uh, I haven't even read a lot of Doom Patrol. I've read some of Doom Patrol. Um, let's be real frank about it. Um, Animal Man, I think, is historically important to comic books, and I think Doom Patrol is very, very good would be my read on it um and, and animal man is also very very good but I, I think that like animal man is like you know like deadpool exists as a character that breaks the fourth wall i think that like animal man is one of the very early instances of a comic book breaking the fourth wall and being very meta so if you are interested yeah. in meta fiction as i am very into um, Animal Man does some very progressive stuff for that, especially like for the time. Yeah, and, and his run on Animal Man, it is. He's one of the and, he, and to break the fourth wall consistently, and in a dramatic story, because there was you know funny comedy comic stories like Ambush Bug did that before Animal Man, but it was always for humorous effect, like like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Animal Man was the first time that I'm aware of that it was done in a, in a serious, dramatic way, sometimes sci-fi a little bit, sometimes more mystical. Um, and it's very, very good. And like you, I haven't read all of his Doom Patrol either. But you were <laughs> gonna say something. Um, I, I can plug yet another one of our podcasts, the- uh, um, Infinity in, Content. In, infinity Content, yes, which is a monthly, roughly monthly, um, podcast that me and and I almost said Ashton, me and Trevor and Colton. Trevor and Colton, we do and we do a graphic. Yeah, we do a graphic novel every time, just one, one uh, older graphic novel. And I and our next one is going to be um, Happy. So if you watch the Happy 
two, three seasons on Netflix. So everyone check out uh, Infinity Content because they've been doing it for a long time and we're huge fans of theirs and they're all wonderful. And if you've met Roman, you get Roman there. And if you want other Roman and Jeff and Justin, you can go to Batman in Quarantine. If not, we'll just be doing Perfectly Acceptable Podcast every week as well. Matt Goff, thank you for your question. What a, it was like a really good week of comics like they were good comics i'm really pumped to have read them um i'm just so glad they're back i love these weeks where it's marvel and dc that come out and i'm i'm so grateful to have hung out with you so much this week roman and see our good friend jay and talk about comics on his yard and what a what a good good comic sesh yeah really was i was thrilled pulling pulling my books this week i was like oh look at this oh look at this yeah yeah it's like being a kid again all right everybody well we'll see you next week for episode 186 i guess and we'll continue the march towards 200 and we need to start thinking about something buck wild for 200 (laughs) so if you listeners have an idea for something that would be buck wild for 200 send us an email at info at thecomicsplace.com and suggest it because foolishly foolishly over-the-top things are what Django and I are very into trying to make happen. So um, thank you all for listening, Roman. Thank you for joining me. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.